we continue today in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. You know, we speak a lot today about reconciliation and God making peace with mankind through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. When we think about reconciliation in human terms, oftentimes we're thinking about both parties um, having done something to offend the other. Now, of course, most of the time it's not completely even. There's oftentimes an imbalance one way or the other, and oftentimes it is just an offense on one side. But when we think about reconciliation and making peace, in this passage, the context here, we see this to be one-sided entirely. God is the perfect God. God is the holy God. God is the one who is just and loving. And we have been separated from him because of our sin, but yet he in his perfect love and justice has been in the means and in the, in the business, if you will, of reconciling mankind unto himself. So today we're going to back up just a little bit before we get to the heart of the verses that we're going to be in in verses 19 and 20 today, and we're going to read as way of lead-in what we talked about last week. Starting in verse 15, it says that he, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. We're going to touch on that again. But everything that makes God God, all of the, if you will, Godness about God, how about that for a coin phrase and term, but all that makes God God, Jesus possessed the person of Jesus Christ as he was manifest in this earth. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by, him and, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So all that we see, lest you think, okay, everything was created by Jesus Christ except for this and except for that. No, the Bible makes it very clear. God speaking to Paul, to the person of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, says everything, everything that you see around you is not a matter of time plus matter plus chance, but it is by the creative hand of God, specifically the agent of creation, the agent in creation, God the Son, the person of Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And lest that not be powerful enough, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That word there speaks to all things being held together by Jesus Christ. So not only did he speak it into creation, we see in Hebrews chapter 1, John, uh, parts of John as well, other places in Colossians, not only did he speak the world into existence, but by it all, by his power, all of it is being held together. All that we see, were it not for the creative and sustaining power of Jesus Christ, all that we would know, all that we hold dear, all that we take for granted, just the general operation, if you will, of the world around us would cease to be. Down to the very molecular level of the things that hold atoms and, 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 and all of the great little building blocks of life, all of it is held together by the very power of Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the church, the body, verse 18, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We are to follow that in all things, Jesus, he might have preeminence. 
So today, in verses 19 and 20, we see an even greater clarification upon this powerful passage that we see uh, last week. In verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father. It wasn't a reluctant giving of His Son, but it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. Remember verse 15? Everything that makes God God, all of his quote-unquote Godness was, uh, was, was found in the person of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that makes God God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that was not possessed by the very person of Jesus Christ. Did he set aside voluntarily some of his, uh, his power and dominion, not his power, but his dominion, not, uh, or, or his, 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 his rights and his privileges on earth? Did he set some of that aside? Yes, but he possessed all of the power, all things that he possessed pre-incarnate in the person, the very person, the manifested person of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth, in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Let's pray, Lord God, as we come to this passage today, as we see again this uh, continuation of one of these great passages of Christology, the study of who exactly Jesus Christ was and how important and how powerful it was that your son, as he came, wasn't just a special man or a special teacher, but he was God on earth. Lord, as we reflect upon this passage, may we take this passage and may we say with it, he is my Lord. He is the one, he is the rock of my life. And on him, I shall lean for every bit every bit of life, every step, every decision, every path, every choice in life. He shall be my rock. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, we see this, uh, this statement here right opening up, verse 19. It says, all the fullness should dwell. Again, everything that made God who he was, everything that, that is encapsulated in what we know about the person of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it was encapsulated in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about last week, one of the great heresies going around at the time in the first and second century was Gnosticism and what you might call pre-Gnosticism, some that was forming up. And what they said is that Jesus Christ wasn't God on earth. He was an emanation of whatever the understanding of God might be. So they would say, yeah, Jesus was a special spirit or a special being, if you will, but he was just an emanation from God. He was whatever the understanding of God is, and they were groping for that as well. They said this person of Jesus Christ wasn't God on earth, but he was just an emanation of that, which, of course, we see in the book of Colossians and Galatians, other places like that was absolutely refuted. Uh, by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and First John as well as they were dealing with one of these great problems. And they said, absolutely not. The person of Jesus Christ wasn't just some emanation. He wasn't just copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And then after several copies of the original, he is a poor form or he is at best a, 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 a sort of looking through a glass darkly sort of representation. No, he was God on earth. The book of John, the gospel of John, verses, or chapter 1, verses 14 and then 17 through 18 speak to this as well. And it said, and the word 
became flesh. Take a look up the screen here. And the Word became flesh. You see, it is capitalized in your, in your Bibles as well because that speaks of the collective wisdom and all of the collective wisdom of God we see here on paper. And we also see it represented in person, in flesh, by the person of Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This wasn't just some sort of special being, special teacher. This was all that God was. He was all that God was. The whole whole understanding of who God was, he was that in flesh. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the justice of God was on display, the speaking of, the, of sin, that, that God was a just God who could not just sweep sin under the rug. We're going to touch back on the law as we come to the end of this uh, sermon as well. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So no one before Jesus came has ever seen God. But Jesus Christ was that perfect representation of who exactly God was. So Jesus was the fullness of God. Jesus was the fullness of God. The second thing that we see in the verse, in the first part of verse 20, is that Jesus reconciled all things. Jesus reconciled all things. And by him, that is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself and to the Father. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And as the verse continues, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That first part of that, though, speaks to that reconciliation, that great biblical truth of reconciliation. Reconcile, sort of in the common vernacular of the day, the common Greek language was meant to change or to exchange. To change or to exchange. And see, what happened is through Jesus Christ, he changed places with us, He paid the debt that we owed that we could not pay. It should have been us hanging upon the cross, but he hung there for us. And in exchange, we receive his righteousness. And because of that, we see the further expansion of the biblical idea of reconciliation that we were brought back together with him. Now, the interesting thing of what this speaks to here, the great power of what's spoken to in this concept of reconciliation here, is it wasn't just mankind. But it was all things, all fallen things. First of all, the spirit world, fallen angels. We see somewhere between what was God created good and Genesis chapter 3 where the temptation came that we know that there was a fall of some portion of the angels. Jude 6 verse 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 2 Peter 2.4, this one's not going to be on the screen, but it said, For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So this sort of reconciliation, when he talks about what has fallen here, he's not talking about reconciliation in the same sense of the material world and the human world, but this is submission. Submission, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But the spirit world was fallen. Some of the angels fell, and of course we know them to be not only Satan, but his uh, demonic hordes that tempt us as well. The spirit world, but also 
the material world. This is incredible power in this. When we think about the scope and we think about the significance of what was reconciled unto God, all things there, all things in the passage is an intensified version of that original world word. And it really means, and it's really saying and trying to push the point across, all things are being reconciled unto God. You know, if we touch back to Genesis chapter 3, reference it just a few moments ago, of course, the fall of Adam and Eve. The fall of Adam and Eve, we know that, that not only did they sin against God, but because of that, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And one of the consequences of that we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. When we couple this with other places like Romans chapter 8 and other places in Scripture, we see that a very clear picture of what God created, God created the world, that it was, just as it said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and it was good. God took a look at what he had created, and he said, it is good, all of it, every bit of it. All that we see in our world, the tragedy and destruction, whether it, become from, whether it be from natural disasters, whether it be the toil of a farmer, and we understand it in this part of the world, all of that and every bit of what we see to be darkness and despair and brokenness, even in our material world, is because of sin that has entered the world. In Genesis chapter 3, again, verse 17, it says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. You know, we understand this, this part of the country very, very well. If we've read and we remember any of our history, we think about some of those pioneers and the struggle and the toil that they had to just hopefully get crops to spring up out of the ground year after year. And you think about it, even for, for farmers, even with our modern equipment, it can still be you're still subject to rain, you're still subject to the natural a phenomenon of our world. But you can, if, if you remember your history books and some of those pioneers that would live in sod homes and what a struggle and a toil it was for them, you really see that illustrated this truth of Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. But the great thing about it is that the Bible says not only is mankind being reconciled unto God, but when Jesus Christ was returned and we see the eternal state, we see that he is reconciling and he will finally reconcile all things unto himself. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21 says this, For the creation, even the creation, was subjected to futility. Remember, it's reflected in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, as we just spoke about. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We see at the culmination of all things, God will return the world unto, uh, unto its original state. Second Peter chapter 3, this one won't be on the screen, but we remember, many of us remember the, the idea, the main idea of this passage, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Remember, it speaks about when in the day of the Lord, it will come in like a thief in the night, and the earth will be burned up, and the heavens will be dissolved, but what will come? The new heavens and the new earth. You understand the implications of that is that we won't just sort of live for all eternity in some sort of nether region beyond the the farthest cloud that you can see, but God will be remaking. He will make new the new heavens and the new earth. 
So not only was creation subjected to futility, but Jesus Christ, he will return and he will restore all things. So we see, of course, the spirit world had fallen, the material world had fallen, but also the human world has fallen and will be reconciled unto God. You see, we often like to think um, of ourselves before we come to faith in Jesus Christ is that we were almost playing a game of hide and seek with God, right? You know, I did a few wrong things, but, you know, I'm just kind of playfully running from God or I'm just, you know, God's just sort of playfully pursuing me or God could, he's like, hey, I'll check in on you a little bit later, that sort of thing. But when we look at Romans chapter 5 and other places in Scripture, the Bible says because of our sin, there was enmity between man and God. Enmity. It's not because, as I often say, God is a mean, ugly God and God's looking to kind of put his thumb upon us. But God is a holy God. God is a holy God. And we don't understand with a fallen mind, a finite mind, the level of his holiness and righteousness. He is spotless. He is without blemish and without blame, perfect and pure in all that he does. And so sin infected the relationship between man and God. And it says because of that, not only were we subject to sin, but it says that we had enmity with God. We had rebellion against God as God was drawing us. God has been drawing us unto himself. Mankind collectively has been shaking their fist in the face of God. But even so, even so, even so, God in his love has been reconciling us to himself. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For if when we were enemies, we were enemies of God, we were reconciled, we were brought back together, we exchanged places with Jesus Christ. He stood in our place and he exchanged our sin debt with us and we were brought back together with God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life because of Jesus Christ. Nothing of what we've done, nothing what we've done individually can we, can we restore that, that sort of uh, reconciliation. Can there be a removal of those hostilities? But only through Jesus Christ. God is just. He must judge sin in our life, but God is loving. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place. And in so, as we were reconciled unto him, as we were brought back together with God, it says that, that God himself, not us, but God himself made peace. That's the third thing that we see in the end of verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Earlier in that chapter of Romans chapter 5, we also see as it opens in verse 1, it says this, and this is going to be on the screen as well. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, justified is another very powerful word in Scripture. Again, if you can imagine standing in a courtroom setting and you have a long litany list of things that have been held against you, sins that you've committed, and it is a debt that is far too high for you to pay. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. God himself stands as the judge in that courtroom and God himself places his son in your stead to pay that penalty of sin. And not only is that 
penalty of sin paid on your behalf by the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, but as if it has been removed completely. It is as if that record of wrongs has been taken and burned and the ashes scattered to the four winds. It is gone, just if I had never sinned. And therefore, there is peace. There is no longer enmity. There is no longer enmity. There is peace with God. And it's that peace through the blood of his cross. You see, oftentimes when you have an opportunity to share the good news, the gospel with someone, maybe you've experienced this as well, um, with a person that's lost, a person that doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ, understandably, their answer to the question of how does a person, how is a person saved or how is a person forgiven, however you ask that particular question, coming to the place of, of how is a person forgiven, how is a person made right with God, 90% of the time the answer is going to be something to the effect of trying to be a good person. If I can just be a better person, if I can just do enough good things and maybe from this point on, They might say, well, man, thank you for this conversation, and they're thinking in their mind, okay, from this point on, I'm going to be the best person I possibly can. After I walk out of this restaurant or after I walk out of this conversation, I'm going to be the best person that I can. We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. There's nothing we can do. God is a perfect God. His standard is perfection. His standard is not better than you were yesterday. His standard is not better than your friend. It is perfection. And in that, it can be discouraging. How can I possibly do that? How can I possibly do that? You can't. You can't. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. There is nothing you can do to possibly be a good enough person. But guess what? It has been done for you through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about the law of Moses a little bit earlier. We referenced that. In Hebrews chapter 10, you can flip there with me if you'd like. If not, listen along. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture because it ties together so powerfully the great type, the great picture in the Old Testament of the animal sacrifices that were made on behalf of the sins of Israel and saying that that was simply putting off, that was putting off sin, but it never truly made it go away. It was putting off sin, but never truly made it go away. It was putting off punishment, but never made it truly go away. And because of that, it was ultimately futile, and it was ultimately a picture of the one true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. It was just simply a shadow. It was kind of, you could, you could peer through and you could see, this has got to speak to something greater coming uh, down the line. And sure enough, it did to the person of Jesus Christ. And the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offered continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. He said they offer the sacrifices year after year after year after year in the Old Testament temple, but they never made the people perfect. It was simply delaying punishment. It was putting it off for another year. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? If it could have taken sin away, wouldn't they have just uh, stopped being offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. There's still a reminder. Even in doing it, there is a reminder that we're going to have to do it again next year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But look at this, starting in verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that was himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till the enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It comes down to our, can you and are you perfect? Because God is perfect. Absolutely not. You cannot make yourself perfect. You cannot do enough good things to outweigh the bad in your life. But guess what Jesus has done? He has come and he has been the ultimate sacrifice so that those who give their life and surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14, absolutely rings true for them and rings true for us. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus has made peace, peace with God, peace with us. Jesus has made peace. Not only that, but it is the peace and the only hope for all of life. There's a story many years ago of a pastor uh, in Brooklyn. His name was Dr. Abbott, and he had fallen into the trappings and the, and the, the problems of what was sort of known as social services, social reform, not social services as we know this, but in those days, it was something that they believed they could make the world better simply by social reform. And social reform would bring about, bring about, the, um, uh, bring about the changes that we see spoken in Scripture and bring about enough changes in our world. But, of course, he underestimated the sin in our world. Well-meaning, but misled. He resigned. After some time, he resigned his church, and he stated in his letter of resignation, I see that what I had once hoped might be done for my fellows through schemes of social reform and philanthropy can only be done by the influence of Jesus Christ. There is no, he said, dynamo, that word, that Greek word for power. There is no power in reform save the cross of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the truth for our world, and that is the truth in your life. There is no power for reform in our world, and there is no change in your life without the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you surrender your life unto him? Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that for those of us who gather together today that are believers, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, may we too daily surrender to his cross May we realize there is no power for change in our lives to be a better wife, husband, uh, parent, co-worker. No matter what it is, no matter what hat, no matter what title, no matter what position we hold in life, there's no power for change in our lives. There's no power for change in the circles around us without the person of Jesus Christ and his cross. And for those that are here today, Lord God, that don't know Jesus as their Savior, may this be the day that they surrender their life unto him. In his name we do pray.